If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. You can turn with me this morning to Nehemiah chapter 7, or scroll with me today to Nehemiah chapter 7. As we come to Nehemiah chapter 7, yet another problem arises. And this is how you know that the book of Nehemiah is a true story, because just as soon as you get one problem solved, here comes another. (laughs) Sound like life to anybody? Well, the wall is finished in spite of all the resistance that we've talked about the last two weeks, both internally and externally. And now the question arises as to who will actually live in Jerusalem. The people of God, according to 7.4, have this big, beautiful city. But apparently no one wants to live in it. No one is, is rushing from the countryside to the city in order to live or from the, the country to live in this beautiful city. It's wide, it's large, but the families don't want to come. They don't want to leave their crops. They don't want to leave their tribes. And it makes sense to us, right? I mean, it's easier at this point in history to live outside the city and to, to stay around what is familiar, to stay around the people who are, who are like you, who value the same things that you do who do life the same way that you do life. But this was not God's desire. He wanted his city to be filled with his people. People from every tribe within Israel gathering together in the city of Jerusalem as a testimony to the greatness of God. Together, as they gather together in this city, they would uniquely evidence the blessing of life living under the rule and reign of the one true God of Israel. So how could this be achieved? How could could this problem be solved? How could Nehemiah gather the people and inspire within them a desire not only to return to the land, but also to populate this incredible city of God? Well, God gives Nehemiah an answer. Chapter 7, verse 5, which the Bible says, God puts something into the heart of Nehemiah to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. God puts in the heart of Nehemiah a desire to gather all the people of God together to remind them why they were called back from bondage, back from enslavement into this land of promise in the first place. God did not bring them back just to be about their own work. God brought them back to be about his work. So Nehemiah gathers the list of returned exiles from, ev- from, from all the tribes. He utilizes the list that Ezra provided for him in Ezra chapter 2 to determine every single person that had returned and make sure they were gathered together to hear what Nehemiah had prepared for them from the Lord. And it's very important that Nehemiah do this work because it's very important that all the people who live in the land and all the people who live in the city were of Jewish descent. They were part of the covenant people. And so name by name, Tribe by tribe, Nehemiah walks through this list in chapter 7 to make sure that all the people are there and that they have evidence of their Jewish lineage. 
And all in all, some 50,000 people gather together, according to verses 66 and 67, before the water gate of the city. And can you picture that crowd? 50,000 people strong before the city of Jerusalem. God's people, once scattered, once divided, once separated, now gathered as one man before this city. They're unified, according to chapter 8, verse 1. And then something happens. A worship service breaks out as they gather together, and we see that unfold in chapter 8. They demand that Ezra come out and read the book of the law, and they listen attentively from the morning to midday, some six hours. And I point that out to you today because I've got a six-hour sermon prepared for you. And I want to see if you are as holy as these men and women in Nehemiah chapter 7. No, not six hours. As I was preparing the sermon this week, and as I was discussing it with some pastors and leaders in our church, I could not get over the description that I read in chapter 8 verse 1 about the, the nature of the gathering in this people. When Nehemiah says the people gathered as one man, into the square before the water gate. The people gathered as one man. Just a few verses before, they did not want to leave their own towns. They did not want to leave what was familiar and sacrifice that for living amongst the people in Jerusalem. They didn't want to leave their own lands, their towns. They were separated and happy in their separation, not fully seeing what God wanted to do through them in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But by the direction of God and under the leadership of Nehemiah, the people gathered. And the Lord used this gathering to unite them to one another and to the common cause under which God called them, to God himself. And this gathering then becomes essential to God's restorative work for his people. In fact, it could be argued that all the work that God had been doing in Ezra and Nehemiah, reestablishing the land, calling them back from their enslavement, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls, was all leading to this moment because it was this moment that uniquely declared the glory of God over his people. Now, I've said often during this pandemic that. One of the main things that God has been teaching me is the importance of the gathering of God's people. I suppose it's, it's true what they say, that you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? And this gathering that we maybe have taken for granted for a long time was suddenly taken away from us. And I think in the absence, I'm hoping that the Lord has stirred within us a, a renewed longing for the gathering of God's people. In some ways, personally, I have always, always loved to gather with God's people. Even from a young age, I can remember desiring and loving to go to church and being with the people of God. That was true even before I was in ministry. But there have also been times in my life, and certainly in ministry, when I have taken this gathering for granted. In fact, there have been days where I was just ready for it to be over with so I can get on to the next thing in my day. And I'm so ashamed of that now because I, 
I was missing the blessing that God had designed for me and for us as a people in order to be able to gather. There is something unique and powerful that happens when God's people gather. And I don't think it's any accident that in a time when we're trying to wrestle through what God is teaching us, through this season of COVID and his sovereignty where he limited our meeting. I don't think it's any accident that as we're trying to discern what God wants us to take away about the gathering of God's people from this time that he has led us to these verses. And it's just another example of his, his fatherly provision for us as his people. As he gives us in his word exactly what we need. And so we have an opportunity as the people of God right now, in light of this text, to consider our gathering and whether or not we have prioritized it in our life in the way that God wants us to. To ask questions of our gathering like this, are we gathering in such a way as the people of God here at First Baptist Church of Irving, Irving that our, our gathering is an evidence of the blessing of God? Are we are we gathering in such a way that both members and non-members alike can see the blessing that comes from living under the rule and reign of the one true God? I think this is an important question, or these are important questions for us to consider and ask, because so many have devalued this gathering. Even those in the church who want to accommodate the necessity of what COVID-19 has brought about on the church. Too many have said that what we are doing right now is unnecessary, or at least it's optional. Too many have misunderstood the gathering and repurposed it around other goals that aren't truly in alignment with God's goals for the gathering of God's people. And it's our responsibility as his people here to consider what he wants, to take stock of what he values and make sure those values are what are, are, what are shaping us, not our desires and our values apart from God. So what I wanna do this morning from Nehemiah 7 and the first part of 8 is to see what this passage teaches us about the purpose of the gathering of God's people. Why do we do it? And why is it important in God's larger redemptive plan? And in light of those answers, what should our gathering look like? So what are some truths that we can learn about the gathering of God's people from Nehemiah 7 and 8? I got four of them I want us to walk through together this morning, okay? Truth number one, the gathering of God's people is God's idea. God's idea. This is clearly evident from, again, chapter 7, verse 5, as Nehemiah is trying to solve this problem of who's going to populate the city of Jerusalem. The answer, the solution, the way that he goes about solving this problem comes from God. It was God, according to verse 5, who put the desire in Nehemiah's heart to gather the people together. And in so doing, he actually answers a bigger problem than just who's going to populate the city of Jerusalem. As we have seen, nobody was volunteering to move into Jerusalem, but this was symptomatic of a larger problem because the people of God were forgetting why they had returned in the first place. 
You see, this land was meant to paint a picture. This city was meant to paint a picture. The people who were to inhabit it, they were all meant to paint a picture. Jerusalem, the the land of promise and the people of God in it, were meant to picture a new garden of sorts, a new place of communion between God and man on the other side of the fall. It was to be a place where everyone could see the blessing of living under the rule and reign of God. People are asking the question, what would it look like on the other side of the fall in Genesis 3 for man to commune with God? What would it look like for him to seek the pleasure of God and have the the blessing of God poured out upon him because he was seeking to be obedient to the one true God? Well, this place... And this gathering was meant to be an answer to those questions. These people were to be an evidentiary people. God had revealed himself to them. God had called them from obscurity. He had brought them out of slavery, not just once, but twice. And he had gathered them together as one people. And this beautiful place that he had given to them, in front of this beautiful city that he had called them to build, and made provision for them to build it. Here, in Jerusalem, the world will get to see a powerful God blessing a humble people. And through that powerful declaration that this people were to picture, he would draw all nations to himself. So this gathering in this city, in this land, is part of God's redemptive plan. At the moment we see in Nehemiah 8.1, God's work is on display. God's redemptive work is on display. 50,000 people, almost 43,000 people of Israel, and then all the people who accompany them, formed by God from the seed of a promise in Genesis chapter 12. They were nothing And then they were something, all by God's sovereign hand. 50,000 people whom God gave this land and sovereignly returned to the land. 50,000 people who had every provision they needed given to them by pagan kings. 50,000 people who had been refined by God in God's righteous judgment, reminding them of their need for him. All now gathered Not as a testimony to themselves. They didn't do this work. They didn't form themselves. They didn't rescue themselves. Not as a testimony to them, but as a testimony to their God. And I want you to hear me this morning. The same thing is true of our gathering today. When we gather as one, we are gathering as a testimony to the God who formed us. Our gathering, even today, is part of God's larger redemptive plan and work. We're not 50,000, but we are a surprising people. In and of ourselves, we don't want to stay divided. We want to stay separated in our places of comfort. But God has called us as First Baptist Church of Irving, to come together as a testimony to Irving and to the nations around us, 
not of our greatness, but the greatness of our God who alone could form such a unique people. Who else could unify a diverse people like we have in this room other than our God and our common commitment to his gospel? You see, this gathering is not optional. It's essential to his plan. We collectively assembled are to be a testimony of the power of the gospel and the greatness and goodness of our God. It's part of his redemptive plan and it's his idea. That's truth number one. Truth number two, the gathering of God's people is for the people of God. Now, I know that may sound a little redundant or obvious, but I think we have to make it very plain and clear that this is the design, that God's people, the gathering of God's people is for God's people. In order for the gathering to testify correctly, it must be comprised of people who have actually been called out by God. If God's gonna use the gathering and his redemptive plan to testify about the power of his redemptive plan, then those who are gathering must have been part of the redemptive plan. You following me? How can we evidence the blessing of God as his people if we are not under the blessing of God? It's the whole point of Nehemiah 7. It matters who lives in the land, as we saw in Ezra 2. And it matters who lives in that city. You know, oftentimes we come to a chapter like Nehemiah 7 and we cannot skip over it fast enough, right? Anybody? I know, I've done it too. You're in your Bible reading plan and you come to those dreaded genealogies or you come to those lists and you're thinking, let me just skim real quick and let me get to the meat, let me get to the good stuff, Okay. I'm gonna challenge you right now to repent of that because I think there is some really important stuff happening in Nehemiah 7. So we are not gonna skip over it today. I want us to ask the question, why was it important for Ezra and Ezra chapter two to create the list that he created? And why is it important that Nehemiah and Nehemiah 7 take it back out again in an effort to repopulate Jerusalem. For this testimony to work, for this gathering to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish, Nehemiah and the leadership of Israel had to make sure that whoever lived in the land, whoever lived in the city were truly of Israel, that they were truly set apart so that they could be different as a testimony to the greatness of their God. This list is to confirm that everyone who is in the land is actually a part of God's people. Otherwise, this land would be like any other land. And as we see in Nehemiah 11, as he, as he asked a portion of all of these people to populate the city, Nehemiah has to make sure that everyone who lives in that city is of the covenant people of God. Otherwise, it would just be like any other city. But these people and this land and that city could not be like any other city in order for it to accomplish its redemptive purposes. All of them had to be set apart in order for the testimony to work. 
Now, I want us to think about this in our own context. We still today, as the church, are a set-apart people. We are called to be distinct. And so it matters who joins us. It matters who we say is a member of First Baptist Church of Irving. And that's why we take membership so seriously here, because we believe that our collective testimony as the membership of this church is being utilized by God in his redemptive plan. And this is painstaking work. I mean, it's painstaking enough to read. Can you imagine actually being there when it was happening? Hours and hours and hours of hearing names read. Imagine the longest, most boring graduation ceremony you can imagine. That's what's happened. There's name after name, tribe after tribe. Can you imagine the frustration of people as they get antsy? And there were even people who were excluded from full restoration because they could not prove their priestly descent. It's not easy work, but it is important work according to Nehemiah. And this is why we must take membership seriously because the testimony of the church depends upon it. We need to be careful who we let in the gates of our church. We need to be people. We need to be careful who we give power to speak on behalf of our church, to represent our church because the testimony, the collective testimony of this people matters. Well, Jared, what's my documentation? How do I prove that I'm a part or that I, I should be or can be a part of this people? Your documentation today, how you know you're a part of the people of God, is simply your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've come to a point in your life where you've recognized your sinfulness, when you've recognized your separation from a holy and righteous God, that you are not part of his people and that you could never be a part of his people if he did not act on your behalf. If you've come to a point where you recognize that he did act on your behalf because he's abundant in mercy and he sent his one and only son to do for you what you could never do for yourself, who died upon the cross taking your place, wearing the, the weight of your sin, under God's judgment, overcoming your greatest enemies, sin and death by resurrecting from the dead three days later. And you've repented and believed in him unto salvation. I got great news for you. You're a part of the people of God. And you can be a part of this specific expression of that people so long as you have that testimony of faith. And here's what I want to argue this morning. Our gathering on Sunday morning, the gathering that is part of God's design, our gathering on Sunday morning is specifically for those people, the church. This, this moment right here is specifically for the people of God. When we gather together, on the first Sunday of the week, the Lord's Day, we are fulfilling the word of God, the work that God has given to us to testify to the blessing of living under his rule and reign. Right now, as the collective people of First Baptist Church of Irving, we are testifying, testifying, picturing for the world around us where true reconciliation is found. 
where true hope and blessing are found, where true unity is found. so important for us to understand because there are many churches who philosophically differ from us in that, who, who suggest that the Sunday morning experience is primarily for visitors or for the lost, those who do not know Christ yet. But I think that's counterintuitive to what God designed this gathering to be. I think this moment is meant to be an expression, a gathering of God's people to testify to the world around us of the unique God that we serve and his worthiness to be worshipped. Now, does that mean that we don't have any place on Sunday morning for visitors or for those who do not know yet Christ? Of course not. But when they come, we want them to see the right thing, right? We want, this, we want them to see the, the testimony of a people who've been radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want them to see a people who have cast aside everything that could divide us for a common unity of purpose in the work of Christ. We want to see a, a people who are devoted in worship to the one true God who has given them blessing upon blessing as a great and good heavenly father. And we want that to woo them to God. We want that testimony to be something they cannot resist, even if it doesn't make sense to their carnal mind. Because the wisdom of God challenges the wisdom of man. There's something about the testimony of this people they cannot get over. And there's something about the joy that they have that they cannot forget. We want this moment to function in the design of God. And for that to happen in a, in a way where our gathering testifies to the greatness of God, it must be a gathering primarily for God's people. That's truth number two. Truth number three. The gathering of God's people is a display of supernatural unity. It's God's idea for his people. And when they gather, they are to display supernatural unity. And I want to go back to chapter eight, verse one here. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. 43, 50,000 people gathered together as one man. Now, this truth has been really challenging me. Of all the truths that we've seen here today from our text, this one in particular I've been wrestling with, not just for the, the months that we've been in COVID, but even years before that. I've been asking this question, and I want us to ask this question of ourselves. What does it, what does it mean for First Baptist Church of Irving to gather as one man, one person, if you like. What does it mean to, to leave your own piece of land, to leave the, the specific culture and traditions of your own tribe and put them aside for a moment to gather as one at the city of Jerusalem? I'm struck by the unity of this verse. The sheer number of people unified in their common commitment to, to their God. I'm struck by the sacrifice that it took to gather, right? 
I mean, it was probably a difficult road to actually drive there. And yet they still came. And when they got to the city, they gave even more. Now, here's the question I've been wrestling with. When we gather as a church at First Baptist Church of Irving, do we gather as one? We gather. We're gathering now. Some of us gathered earlier. Some of us are gathering online right now. But even on a normal Sunday outside of this COVID-19 world, when we gather, do we gather as one? As I wrestle before the Lord, as your pastor, one of the elders here, I think we have some work to do, friends. I think we have some work to do for our testimony to grow and its effectiveness for the work of the gospel. What do you mean by that, Jared? Well, I don't think we're on the brink of some church split. I don't think we hate each other by any means. There's a lot of really great things happening here. And I think there is a growing love for one another that we sense in this church. But my question is this, how can our our actual gathering become a more faithful expression of the love that we have for each other and for our God? It's hard to gather as one when you're gathering between two or three different services. It's hard to gather as one when you don't want to gather with someone else because they like a different kind of music than you do. And so I think there are some structural and some preferential things that we're going to have to address as a people in order to raise our commitment to expressing our common devotion to God in gathering as one. Listen, we need to be careful to not let our political ideologies lead to division. And I think this year, more than any year probably, 2020 is gonna be a, a very tough year politically. And we already saw it in 2016. It caused a lot of division in the church. We gotta be careful there. We gotta be careful to not let our musical preferences lead to division. We gotta be careful not to let our traditions that are human made and not inspired by God, our structures even, lead to division. Because when we do, we fail to gather as one. And when we fail to gather as one, we limit the testimony of God through us. I'm willing to sacrifice up into a point. I'm willing to love up into a point. I'm willing to commit myself up into a point. But does that sound like sacrificial love of God to anyone? Does that sound like the love that God has shown us in Christ? Aren't you thankful he didn't say, I'm willing to save them up to a point. I'm willing to go this far. No, he gave his one and only son. And there's been no greater display of sacrificial love than what God has done for us in Christ. And if he was willing to give up all of that, how could we not be willing to sacrifice in order to serve him? As a a declaration to the world of our common greater commitment to the work of God. In the coming months, we're gonna be talking about what it means to gather as one. I don't know what day that will be. 
when we'll be able to gather as one again. Obviously, we're, we're living in some very challenging times. But I do want us to think about that reality. When all the restrictions are released and we are able to gather however we desire, what expression of gathering actually best fits God's purpose in gathering? And how can we do that as a church in order to honor him? Truth number four, the gathering of God's people should always lead to worship. It's God's idea for his people in order to express supernatural unity. And when that happens, it will always lead to worship as we think about what unifies us. Look at the second part of chapter eight, verse one. So they gathered, and then what did they do? They tell Ezra, the guy who reintroduced the book to them, to bring out that book again. Ezra, go get the book of the law, and you come read it. You can read it for hours, and we're gonna soak it up. I love this. When God's people gather, when they gather as one, it stirs up worship. Listen, the benefit of our gathering is the advancement of the gospel. Yes to the nations as they, as they look and they see our common testimony, but it's also about the advancement of the gospel in our own hearts. This gathering is, is meant to be intentional. Their gathering is intentional. There is a purpose behind it. That's why God put it on Nehemiah's heart. They didn't gather to hear a motivational speech. They didn't gather to talk about the weather or the latest crop that came in. They didn't gather to talk about their great soccer match against their sheep the day before on the plains of Jerusalem. They gathered to worship, to show that they were wholly devoted to their God. I want you to see when we gather, it is for our good. It's for the good of the nations, yes, but it is also for the good of God's people to remind them that God is still working. It's very easy in isolation and separation to forget. You got a whole lot of people with you in this work. It's very easy to forget that God is still about his redemptive purposes when you're just about your normal day today. And it is good for God's people to gather and remember, oh, this is what we're supposed to be about. Oh, this is what I'm a part of. Oh, this is what I need to be giving my week to. It's good for us to be reminded of the work that God is doing in us and through us and to point us to the day when all of this work will come to an end. And all of God's people will gather together from every place, nation, tribe, and tongue to worship God, not just on one day, but for all of eternity. I gotta tell you guys, I'm longing for the day when 700 people can fill this room and worship God, aren't you? I know we got friends right now who desire to come to church and cannot come to church because they're at risk. And they, they're not forsaking the, the gathering. They just can't come. And they want to be back here. I mean, I was encouraged by hearing, you know, 150, 200 people sing in this room today, but I just can't wait to hear 700 people testify to God. I'm encouraged by the 50,000 that, that gathered together 
in Nehemiah 7, the whole assembly, 42,360 besides their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337 and they had 245 singers, Pastor Kurt, male and female. There's even horses, mules, camels, donkeys. Let's get all the animals in here too so all of creation can worship. I'm, I'm really excited about what I see here, but you know what I'm more excited about? A multitude in Revelation 19, a number that is too great to number. It's so much, John can't even put a number to it. So he just says multitude, a multitude of people who sound like the roar of many waters and peals of thunder, declaring in unison their worship of God, saying this, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. When we gather, we worship because it's what we were created to do. We worship because it's what we were called out of our sin to do. And we worship in our gathering because we're picturing for everyone the future of all redeemed humanity. And we will sit before God and proclaim his goodness forever. Don't you long for the day when there's not an inch of creation that is not declaring the glory of God? So can I encourage you today? Do not take this gathering for granted again. I hope you see it's not optional. It's essential to the work of God and it's essential for your spiritual health and well-being and good. It's essential in God's redemptive plan. So much as you can, you be here. So much as you can, fathers, teach your children to honor this gathering and value this gathering above anything else they can do on a Sunday morning. I know it was tempting to sleep in this morning. It's cloudy outside, it's Father's Day. It's gonna be streamed online anyway. But if it's in your power, come. Let's make it a priority. Let's not take it for granted again. Hebrews 2.25, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but gather to encourage one another and all the more as the day is drawing near. And as we gather, let's commit to gather as one so that we may fulfill the purpose of this gathering and evidence our complete unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me ask you this, has there ever been a more important time to testify to the world around us where reconciliation, unity, and love can be found? Listen, Jordan and I were talking the other day, we're taking social media off of our phones. Because every time I open up Twitter or Facebook, it doesn't take me 10, 20, 30 seconds, and I just feel anxious. Because people are so mean and hateful, divisive. 
And that's true even of Christians, unfortunately, by the way. And it's so discouraging. The world around us is divided. We're looking for ways to divide against each other. Don't you think it's time for people to stand up and say, let me tell you something that can unify us. Let me show you where true love is found. Let me, let me show you a people from different nations, different economic backgrounds, different political preferences, different music tastes, who are willing to come together in unison to proclaim together our devotion to God. And let me show you love that we can show each other because God has first loved us. The testimony of the church has never been more needed than it is right now. Let's commit ourselves, friends, to not let the things that divide come into this place. Let's be unified for the sake of the gospel. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond this morning. Let me begin by asking you this question. Are you a part of the people of God? Do you have your admission slip, which is a confession of faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever repented and believed in him unto salvation? I've got good news. Today can be the day when you step under the provision of Christ and you can be reconciled to God and therefore have the ability to be reconciled with man. If you've never repented and believed in Jesus Christ, would you do that today? And join us in this work to declare the goodness of our God who has loved us so completely. For those of you who are in Christ, are you committed to a local body of Christ? Being a member matters because you're saying, I'm identifying with this people under this leadership and we are going to uniquely declare the glory of God. Let me just say to you, if you don't have a church home, just a couple of weeks on July 12th, we're gonna have our next membership class. And we would love to invite you to come know more about our church, help us get to know you, and begin the process of joining this membership, this body, so that you can join the common witness of our church. Have you led your family and your, your peers to value this meeting? When there are other things that you can do, do you choose those other things? Are you committed to gathering? Has, has the Lord used this moment to increase your love for the gathering of God's people? And are you willing to grow with us so that we can gather in a way that more faithfully fulfills God's design for our gathering? To gather as one for the glory of God. You may not get what you want, but you'll get what you need. And what a testimony that will be to our God. Father, however you would like us to respond, 
would you help us respond now? Help us to not be the same, but more committed to your work and your people. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads.